it was step by step. It was just one foot in front of the other. There was no, you know, I was shooting from the hip and I was learning as I went. So I didn't have a strategy. I didn't plan to grow it like I did. I was having fun with what I was doing. And the logic was do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work. Listen to your customers, iterate quickly for what it is that they actually wanted and don't try to offer people things that just I wanted. Um, It was kind of a mix of my spirit, my personality, um, as well as what it is that I knew this girl wanted. And so I think when you're really focused on your customer, that matters, that matters a lot. Welcome to CEO school. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson. And we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue. And we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CEO School. I am so excited for today's episode because I have the ultimate girl boss with me, Sophia Amoroso. Hi, Sophia. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm so pumped. Honestly, for the last five minutes, I've totally been fangirling on Sophia because it's so hard not to. We've all read Girl Boss cover to cover and have just been so inspired by your entrepreneurship story, how you hustled your way all the way to the top um, and really became an icon for female entrepreneurs everywhere. I speak truly from my heart when I say that I'm already going to start tearing up. I speak truly from my heart um, when I say that your story was so pivotal for me in my journey, especially when I was starting out um, as an entrepreneur. I remember sending you a LinkedIn message. Literally, I didn't know how to find you. I remember sending a message, you know, just letting you know about this journey that I'm on and then how inspirational your book was. And if you had any free time, if you wanted to come join my advisory board. (laughs) Did I write back? No, you didn't write back, but totally understandable. But this is how I really do believe in the power of the universe and how she works. And it's come full circle that I'm so honored to have you as a guest today on CEO School, the podcast. How are you? Welcome to the show. I'm really, really good. I'm super busy, but I'm busy with something that I chose to do that I'm enjoying. And it's so cool to be here. It feels very full circle, you know, because my story inspired your story and your story inspires me. You know, every time someone builds a business like you have, and that's pretty rare, it's always just like, it's so impressive and it's, and it's an opportunity for me to learn as well. So I'm enjoying just spending an hour with you and hopefully we both get something great out of it. No, I am so thrilled to have you. And I want to start with the founder story. And I know you've had so many different um, endeavors that you've you know partaken in over the years. Uh, so Sophia, I, I know we all know it, but would love to hear it from you. How did you get started in entrepreneurship and what was like the initial journey for Building Girl Boss? Well, I never, I mean, I was 22 when I started an eBay store and the word entrepreneur CEO, founder, none of that was in my vernacular. It was, I was an eBay store owner. I was like an eBay seller. I was a seller, you know? And so launched Nasty Gal in November of 2006 as as an eBay store selling vintage clothing. And 
you know, had no experience in selling online, had never actually worked in like a real office, had absolutely no leadership or management experience, never thought I would even encounter that, um, didn't anticipate anything that eventually happened and grew the business from, I think the first year I did $70,000 in revenue, which was just huge. And then the next year I did 250 and then it was 1.1 million Then it was six and a half and then it was 28. And that's when venture capitalists came in. Um, so left eBay, launched nastygal.com and it's, you know, it's a long, long story. Eventually grew it to over a hundred million dollars in revenue, had a few hundred employees, had no idea what I was doing and, um, and wrote a book called girl boss in 2014 about that experience having been, uh, an unlikely entrepreneur without the right, you know, MBA education, without family money, without friends and family, you know, angel investing. And I realized there was just so many kind of accidental entrepreneurs out there, people who don't even consider them entrepreneurs, online sellers, because there's, you know, so many, uh, so much incredible software out there in marketplaces for creators and founders and makers and retailers and, you know, service providers, which is, you know, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, which is, you know, who I'm really catering to with my next endeavor. So I'll always relate more to the person who's bootstrapping than the person I became raising a ton of venture money because it was just, it was just not my world, even though I made it my world. And I've met so many incredible entrepreneurs and investors along the way. I'm really focused now on with my third business bootstrapping again and talking about what that means and how to do it because that's, I think that's what I was actually really best at. <laughs> I love it. It's been, you know, even right now me asking you about girl boss completely even missed nasty gal in the beginning. Cause it's been such an incredible journey for you. I really appreciate you kind of sharing that, that there is success and you don't have to have those, the titles, the education and the, like the family money. No. And if even with those things, nobody's qualified, like, <laughs> Qualifications are really underrated and what expertise means, I think, has really been democratized um, in this era where information is not just held by, you know, a select few people and so much of it is free online and you can get so much of it for so much less than going to business school, which is kind of why, why I'm up to this next thing. Yeah. Do you want to just get into it and start talking about it? Sure. Yeah. Um, so this is my third business, which is crazy. And it's one that I plan to own a hundred percent. There's no like equity being issued. There's no investors that, you know, I, I just, it's, it's going to be a very simple kind of hopefully nimble, scrappy digital business. Um, and it's called business class, which sounds like it's an online course you know, for entrepreneurs and founders who have um, either a really strong idea of what they want to build and they're ready to commit to it, or they have a business and they want to professionalize it and want to understand like all the nuts and bolts of how to do it right. Um, which I've spent, I think 60 plus million dollars in venture capital in 15 years learning. Um, so hopefully not everybody has to do that. Um, and it's called business class. It's an eight week program and it's on sale now it's guided. I do weekly zoom calls and we cover everything from understanding your strengths to uh, meeting your perfect passenger, which, okay, it's called business class. There's a lot of airline puns. So like I said, it sounds like a boring name, but it's like, you know, wheels up and each of the modules is called a flight 
and I'm your chief flight attendant and our customer experience team is called the flight cruise. It's just super fun and beautiful and, um, and funny in a way that typically learning about business wouldn't be. So we go through everything from learning about your strengths to meeting your perfect passenger to defining your product, um, putting together an MVP, um, talking to your customers, validating your ideas, um, you know, doing a SWOT analysis, uh, doing a competitive analysis, getting into intellectual property and protecting yourself and a lot of the things that entrepreneurs do wrong early on. And then we get into like brand building and creating a logo. It's just like, it's, it's really, really, it's really comprehensive and it's an eight week program and um, it's, it's guided over those eight weeks, but everybody who joins business class has lifetime access. So you can return to it because a lot of the stuff is just resources that you, you know, that you'll need over the course of your career. Well, that's, that's so incredible. Thanks so much for taking all of your knowledge over the last, how many years of entrepreneurship? 15. 15 years of entrepreneurship into this course. It's incredible to do that. I've actually done the same um, and I'm in the process of completing that through. And it, it is, there's so many learnings that you have and you're like, I wish somebody had just taught me this. I wish I didn't have to learn it from like my failures versus somebody else's failures. Would love to kind of like go back to some of those failures or some of those learnings that, you know, really defined the program that you have today, but based upon some of those things that you're like, man, I wish I knew this, um, you know, through Nasty Gal or through the Girl Boss experience, would love to kind of deep dive into some stories of those milestones that, that were just harder to get to because of these challenges that had come up. And, you know, something about our audience is they're all female entrepreneurs. Um, some guys in the house, they love to listen, but it's all fem- empowered and, you know, less than 2% of female founders ever break a million in revenue. And that statistic to me is like the most disheartening statistic ever. So I'd love to kind of take back before you made your first million and then we'll go from there. Yeah. I mean, it was really kind of, it was step-by-step. Step. It was just one foot in front of the other. There was no, you know, it's shooting from the hip and I was learning as I went. So I didn't have a strategy. I didn't plan to grow it like I did. I was having fun with what I was doing. And the, you know, the the logic was do more of what works, do less of what doesn't work. You know, listen to your customers, iterate quickly for what it is that they actually wanted and don't try to offer people things that just I wanted. Um, it was kind of a mix of my my spirit, my personality. Um, as well as, you know, what it is that I knew this girl wanted. And so I think when you're really focused on your customer, that matters, that matters a lot. I wish I had known more about finance. I wish I had known something about leadership or management or anything because it was before my first million that I hired my first couple employees. And, you know, that, that works, you know, it's being an inexperienced kind of leader and manager works for a little while, but it doesn't scale. And that's something that even though, you know, we were scrappy and everybody was jumping in in the early days doing whatever needed to happen as the company grew, I really wish I had set a, you know, a way of leadership that I would scale the business with um, values that we could uphold from the very beginning and a culture that, you know, day one was intentional that as the company grew super duper quickly, you know, everybody was clear on what it meant to work at Nasty Gal, what it meant to work as a team together. And that was something that we tried to kind of retrofit 
later on into the business. And once you have a lot of employees and you haven't set those kind of guidelines or given people those objective tools to um, understand what it is that we're here to do and how we do it together. If you don't do it early on, once you have several employees, it becomes the Tower of Babel where everybody's speaking a different language. And that's what it felt like um, for a little while at Nasty Gal. And that's really, really hard to unwind once it happens. I appreciate you sharing that with us because you don't usually hear people talk about the things that don't go right. Like we, I hear all the time. I've, I listen to every founder's like major podcast ever. And everybody just wants to talk about all the things that they do well. I really appreciate us sitting here talking about the things that didn't go well because there's so many listeners that are going to not make those mistakes because of it. So I appreciate that. How were you able to, you know, then successfully pivot into girl boss and like what was that journey like for you? Yeah. Well, I wrote the book and really it was like, okay, I'm going to tell my story because I know a lot of people can relate to this. There were no books in the business book section written by millennial women, really kind of at all. It was like Susie Orman and Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In had come out a year prior. So it was really unique in its category at the time. And this was in 2014. And it really galvanized a generation of women. People have called it a movement. It is a movement, Sophia. It is a movement. Uh, It's still a movement. All right. It's so far beyond my control that I'm almost like, I'm almost like divorced of it. I'm like, have at it. Like I've been at girl, you know, I left actually girl boss, the company, which I'll talk a little bit more about. I left girl boss earlier this year. Um, but it became so much more than it became a term, you know, it became part of the gazette guys. There's, I don't know what 20 million, 22, I don't know how many plus hashtags of girl boss on Instagram more. It's like more than hashtag entrepreneur. It's crazy. And so I wrote the book and then, you know, and it spent 18 weeks on the New York times bestseller list. It's since sold 500,000 copies. And it was in 2015 when I launched my podcast, Girl Boss Radio, which I'm actually not doing anymore, but that went for five years. Um, and I got to interview like all these incredible entrepreneurs. It's really worth still listening to, I think. And I'm, I'm thinking about what's next in the audio space. So I'm excited about that. Um, so started that really as kind of a, you know, a couple hours out of my week. I was still focused on Nasty Gal, but I knew I wanted to use the access I had to other entrepreneurs and women who had accomplished great things to share that on my podcast for a group who may not be able to, you know, see these women at a fortune's most powerful women conference and spend six or 10 grand to attend. Um, and then once nasty gal ended, which didn't end well, um, I moved full-time into girl boss and it was kind of waiting there for me for a long time. It was, you know, something that I kind of wanted to focus on, even though I couldn't while I was still building Nasty Gal. So it was really an exciting time to, to get into, to get into girl boss full time. And I did that really, really quickly. Four months after I left Nasty Gal, we hosted the first girl boss rally, which was our conference. We did two a year. We had 1300 women at them from 30 countries and 40 States. So it was just, it's the girl, the girl boss community is incredibly international. It was around that time that Netflix dropped a series called Girl Boss that I produced with Charlize Theron. And that went into 150 million homes in 195 countries. It's been a crazy ride. So great. So I'd love to. So during that journey, I mean, this is like, I, I can't even, I don't even have words right now. Usually like I'm, I'm always filled with words. Uh, everyone can tell you around me. 
but I don't have words because I have really lived this girl boss movement. And does it feel like it's beyond you? Like, do you feel this like imposter syndrome? Do you feel, um, like an outer body experience, like looking back and seeing the millions of women that you have an impact on? Yeah. I think it's really surreal just saying out loud what's happened in my life because I wake up every day and I make a coffee and I'm like, cool, I'm going to, I'm building something I'm excited about, but I don't, think about, you know, I don't, I just don't like, I don't like reflect on my life every day in the same way that, you know, we're doing in a conversation like this. And, you know, I never set out to inspire as many people as I have. And it's a huge responsibility. So there's been times where I'm like, okay, like I'm the girl boss now. And I signed up to be like the example and I'm held accountable. You know, the women's movement came about and what was expected of me became even bigger. And, you know, girl boss was like a fun entertaining book and so is the Netflix series but you know it's also been examined and taken very seriously and you know way more than I ever anticipated so I mean it's 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 incredible to get dms and emails every day from people who are telling me you know that I inspired them to quit their job or you know they sat a side hustle and they were able to commit to it full time because of you know, my story and watching me, you know, get up and try and fail or, you know, the community of girl boss that we built, which is, you know, which is awesome, but they've also asked for a lot of mentorship and it's, I've never really given out. I've never really shared what I've learned since I wrote girl boss. And it's been six years of now two companies being a second time entrepreneur. And now this is my third business. And so what's awesome now is actually just kind of like, um, explicitly sharing what I know instead of inspiring people. It's like, here's how I did this and here's what you can use to do it too. And avoid some of the stuff that I had to learn the hard way, very expensively and very emotionally taxing and, uh, definitely will show up on my face as I age. So I want you to, I want to help you avoid that. Right. And that's what I'm doing uh, with business class. So it's so inspiring. It is exhausting, probably feeling like you have to be the one, right? That's a lot of pressure for let alone just being the CEO of your company. Like there's a lot of pressure every day that I face. It's so difficult, even just in the, the little public that I'm in. Uh, I can't even imagine the stress that it takes on you to feel like you are the one. How do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? I think the reward outweighs the stress so much that, you know, and I've learned how to deal with stress and how to deal with challenges way too much over the years. Um, And for the most part, everybody who reaches out to me is just incredibly sweet. And a lot of the time people ask for mentorship directly. And once in a while, just like get on a call willy nilly with someone who emails me just like, Hey, like, cool. Happy to share my thoughts. I like what you're doing. Um, but for the most part, I can't address all of that individually. And that's really, that's really hard because I do want to, you know, respond to every DM with, you know, here's what you need to do about your business or here's, you know, they're asking people ask very, very specific questions and, you know, been listening to those questions for so many years now. And it's going to be awesome to use that to inform what I can share and mass, right? Not necessarily individually business classes online and it's self-led really you're doing it, you're doing the worksheets and you're doing the work yourself, but to answer those questions directly in a way that I can't do individually is really what I hope to offer. 
to that girl who, you know, may have been disappointed at some point, like you, that I wasn't able to write back to you. And I feel like such a dick. No, you know, I actually believe that I put it out there. I do believe that we're connected today for a reason. And I really encourage women to do that. I think that sometimes we're so in our own heads that we don't feel like we can reach out or we can ask for help. And, and we have to be understanding. I get it. Like you are, you're busy running your company. You don't need to respond to my message, but it shouldn't stop me from at least trying. And so I really feel you when you talk about breaking that mold and putting all your knowledge, putting all of your knowledge. This is the way that you're giving back actually. We, you can't sit here and mentor one-on-one individually. This is the way that you actually lead, inspire, share, and put all of your incredible brain knowledge into an accessible course, into something that's so easy. You don't have to go to CEO school. You don't have to get an MBA. And you can just tap into Sophia's knowledge of all the things that you learn. And I think this is incredible. And I think that every major entrepreneur should be doing this. Thank you so much. I mean, you mentioned how you've gotten connected to every single person that you've wanted to. And I, you know, it's like, I was called annoying as a kid, but that really worked out in my career. That is that the superpower? Uh, I mean, I don't know what my superpower is, maybe naming things and copywriting and I love puns and that kind of thing, but that's, you know, it's like, what do you have to lose reaching out to someone? You have absolutely nothing to lose. You should not be humiliated if somebody doesn't write back to you. Um, people are busy, like whatever, but that eventually, you know, that person if you meet them or you write them again, like they'll remember you and maybe eventually they'll get back to you. And, you know, you have to send out 10 emails to get, you know, two responses and that's just how it works. Um, and what's really cool is that in um, the business class program, I give you scripts to do it, um, to hassle mentors and to reach out to people for partnerships. Um, and then also just to your note on, you know, your team and other people thinking that you're distracted when you're doing something else. I mean, with me, Girlboss was like an opportunity to get the Nasty Gal logo on the cover of a book for free. Like that was like, oh my God, this is like free marketing. This is like the story of the business. This is content marketing. Ultimately, it became its own thing and that was out of my control. And there was a sentiment of Sophia is distracted. Um, So I think it is, you know, I think people are very critical when as a founder, you know, they're looking at where you're spending their time and they're, they're evaluating their worth based on how much energy you're giving to something. And that's just, you're always going to be under that microscope. You're always going to be disappointing someone, whether it's a friend you don't have time for, or, you know, it's just when you're busy, like, and you're doing what's right for you, there are always going to be people who aren't happy about that. And that just, you know, it's like when you accept that someone's always going to be bummed because you can't please everybody, it sucks. And then you get used to it. (laughs) You get used to it. I, I agree with that. It's still hard for me. I will say that like my skin has gotten so much thicker, but it doesn't remove, like I'm an emotional being like I am. And I care about if there's like an employee issue or if like somebody quits or if I get a nasty review online, whatever it is like, but I want to also ensure that I'm able to harness that and use that for like the great things that make my company, customer empathy, customer journey. Like I really give a shit. That's why I care so much. That's why my culture is so important because I really give a shit. Have you ever been told that you're emotional? Um, And like, how do you deal with that as a woman in a world that is not used to it? 
Yeah, initially, I think I was pretty emotional. I took things personally. You know, I became friends with my employees. I didn't have a lot of boundaries in that regard. And I wanted to be like the cool boss. Um, And so I think when somebody quits or somebody has criticism of you, it feels like it's personal when you are a leader who doesn't have those kinds of boundaries. It doesn't mean they have to be kind of cut and dry. Like I'm, I'm in and out. I don't socialize with you. I don't, you know, we don't laugh or whatever. Um, But it is important to have like, you know, to, to make sure that you are in the position of a leader and no matter how cool and relatable you want to be, they're judging you based on how much of a leader they are. They don't care if you're cool or not. Like everybody needs leadership. I completely understand that and agree with those notions, especially on the leadership values, because this is like one of the biggest topics for us at CEO school. We do wind down Wednesdays, by the way, which I'd love to have you back because this is where I've like invested so much time and growth into myself as an executive and as a leader from day one. And I do believe that leadership qualities are not measured enough and would love to ask you what you believe are like the top leadership qualities that you think a great leader should possess. And as you're saying this, I'm looking up at my books and, you know, I have so many business books and in terms of leadership too, that I really, really love is um, one called Leaders Eat Last. Yeah. Um, And then the second one is by Patty McCord, who ran Culture and People at Netflix for a very long time, who's actually on my podcast. And the book is called Powerful. It's all about leadership and culture. And it's I learned a lot from her just in the hour she was on my podcast. In terms of top leadership skills um, that people should have, I think the traits of a great leader... I think, I think empathy is one of them. Um, I think communication is one of them over communicating, communicating again and again with people because people forget we're all very busy, not taking things personally, building a culture of transparency, um, really trusting people with information and giving them the why about what it is that's happening and not just here, can you go do this? But this is why it's going to make an impact on the company. This is why it's important. Um, deputizing people and having them go do work and come back to you. It's easy to have people come to you and say, Hey, I have this problem. People come to you with problems and it's not your job to solve their problems. You can give them some guidance, but it's your job to say like, go find a solution and don't come to me unless you're at least going to propose a solution for this. Even if it's on an awful one, like don't come to me just with a question. And that's something that I've learned, you know, it's taken me very long to learn And I have an executive coach, Jeff Welch, Jefferson Welch, and I've been working with him on and off probably eight years. He's exceptional. And, you know, we did some personality intakes on um, who I am and my strengths and my weaknesses and uh, what my defaults are. And on the lowest for me is uh, avoidance. I'm incredibly non-avoidant. Um, so when someone comes to me with something or something happens in the company, or sometimes even when I get an email, I just like jump and I want to, I want to fix it. Um, and there's actually a certain amount of avoidance, like cultivating a certain amount of avoidance that's helpful, um, which just seems so backwards to me because people who avoid conflict, I just think of the word avoidance in general with conflict 
And I'm just so not that person. I'm not comfortable having discomfort between myself and others. And I always want to solve it as soon as possible. And sometimes that doesn't work. Your your boyfriend needs space or your husband needs space. And you're like, Hey, 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 Hey. And you're like, Oh, okay. I guess, I guess. I think every, everyone listening is like, probably like, yep, that's scenario right there. Um, I've had to learn how to say no. That has been one of like the biggest skills that I have cultivated that I have to consciously turn on and be like, take a pause, take a pause. And it's okay to say no. But once I really understood that, if I say no, that actually gives me more time to do the things that are moving the needle, or that actually gives me more time to focus on the things that matter. And it actually affects the entire organization 10 times better because I said no. And so once that kind of like that shift took place for me, where I'm like, great, if I say no, then I could say yes to the thing that actually drives the business. And that, that was like a huge moment for me. Which is another way of saying you're going to always be disappointing someone. I'm sorry. I can't just catch up over coffee. Yeah. Like I don't have time to just like noodle. Like if there's a purpose to this, I can do it. But sometimes it's a matter of being really um, like mercenary about how you spend your time and you should spend your time like really precisely. Um, I think there's a book called essentialism. That's really good as well. And that, that talks all about this and I learned a lot from it, but you know, it's, there's been times where I literally will be like, this is the only thing I can work on right now. Like if it's outside of this kind of thesis, I, I'm not going to do it. And that is, that's hard. Telling people no is hard. Again, disappointing people. It's part of your job and it sucks, but it's, uh, it allows you to focus on what really matters, whether it's in your personal life and being with your family and your kids for you, um, or also like making sure that you're focused on the right things that are going to make the biggest impact on your business. Sophia, if you can kind of share with me a little bit on what is it that you're excited about going into this next business? We talked a little bit about business class and it's going to be lean. It's going to be nimble. It's going to be a digital business. What are you most excited about? And now that you've taken all this experience, how are you going to put that into this like next venture? Um, and what's the, the vision? Is it to be the next nasty gal or girl boss or Tony Robbins or whatever? No, I think the online coaching space can be a little cheesy and the folks in that category have laid an incredible foundation for what it is that I'm doing. I do not want to reinvent a business model. So in some ways, what I'm doing, the way I'm doing it is formulaic. What I'm providing is really, really unique. Um, But I want to keep it small. I've had large teams. I've raised venture capital. I've had other people breathing down my neck to build a billion-dollar business. And I never want that again. Um, If five people buy this and are absolutely thrilled with it, that is more important to me than a thousand people buying it and, you know, being unhappy with you know, what they're getting. Um, so building something really, truly great is at the top of my list right now. And giving back is at the top of my list right now, where as an only child and someone who's been like, so celebrated and talked about my story for so long, I just want, I'm not, I've extracted a lot and it's time for me to, to give back. Um, and that's free. It's incredible. Um, so having a small team, being nimble, um, bootstrapping all the way, building something profitable and, and, and having a certain amount of like life, you know, quality of life. And I want that for my team as well. And, you know, we're launching this course, you know, we've, we've launched it, what we launched on September 22nd and, you know, it's going to be a really, really crunch time for the eight weeks after the course launches on October 12th. 
But after that, you know, we're going to take two weeks off around the holidays. Like that's a huge luxury for everybody. So we're jamming. There's going to be some weekends that we work, but this is a very finite period. And the rest of the year, I'm not going to be launching a course all year round. This is something that, you know, you can register for over a two week period and then the doors close. And this ends, you know, really like we take people through late November. And then after that, you know, we have the kind of quality of life um, that I want to have for myself that I've never been as deliberate about. And I want to build our culture around that and give that to my team as well. I love that. I resonate with that so much. We want to get stuff done. We want to do it. We want to ensure that it's, it's incredible, but not at the expense of like losing ourselves, not at the expense of being our best self. So I can completely relate yeah. um, to what you're talking about. There's so many women listening. They're in the process of either starting a business. They might've just started it. They might be on their journey or like past the million dollar point, everyone's at at different phases. But I think that sometimes when we're in this journey, we feel like we have to do everything um, super unique, or there's too many competitors in this space. And how do you kind of get over that notion of, I love what you said about not reinventing the wheel. I, I believe in that so much. I try it and it's really hard. And I think there's like very, very, very few businesses that can invent you know, completely novel app or business or Instagram. And honestly, you probably don't want the lifestyle that comes along with building a billion dollar business. Um, and I've learned, you know, I've learned the hard way with Girl Boss. It was, it was challenging. We were an event, we did a lot of events, which requires, a, it's a really heavy lift. Um, and our revenue depended on when we were doing events and we weren't selling ads, you know, at scale, we didn't have banner ads. We worked with, you know, brands, um, and did $500,000 million deals with these incredible brands like Uber and Amex and Goldman Sachs and BlackRock, a lot of financial services companies actually. And, you know, those were, you know, those were one-off sometimes six month partnerships. And we were executing across, uh, against an event, which is, has a lot lower margin than something like a banner ad. And our audience was very, um, it wasn't small, but we weren't just broadcasting to whatever traffic we had. It was a community that was much smaller than someone like a Refinery29. So proving out, you know, the return on investment, like you're not going to get as many clicks and transactions if, than if you advertise with BuzzFeed is my guess. But what you're getting is a really, really deep engagement with the community that we have. And sometimes that was a little challenging to articulate. In the end, our clients were always really happy with the work that they did with us. Um, so it's important, right? When you're building business, you've customers, your clients that you're living up to the promise that you're selling someone matters almost more than what it is that you're selling. So events were an extremely heavy lift. Our revenue was something called bumpy, which I had never heard of before, which meant, you know, we did deals and we, okay, like we have to put up money to pay a producer to put on this event and we're not going to get paid by our client until after we fulfill on this work. So it was just like, it wasn't a simple digital scalable business model where you're leveraging work that you've already done, like with software, with fat merchant or with something like business class where I'm hustling now to create this incredible content. But next year I'll improve it. I'll tweak it based on, you know, customer feedback. It'll keep improving every time, you know, people log in a year from now, this is going to be better and better and updated. But the bulk of the work is something that I kind of do once and there's something just super beautiful about a scalable digital product because I've been in the space of having inventory and 
thousands of SKUs and dresses in a warehouse where things are aging and you have to put them on sale because all of your capital is tied up in inventory. Literally, your money is in a warehouse and it's not liquid until you move stuff. Like that's it's a huge amount of risk in your business. So this feels like a lot less risky of a business. And like I said, there's a lot of incredible entrepreneurs out there who are doing very different things. A lot of them are teaching online courses about building online courses, which I'm actually not qualified to teach. Um, so what I'm doing is different, but the way they've done it, I've studied and there's a bit of a formula and that I hate that word. But I've struggled trying to start things that are super novel. We've launched a social network at Girlboss, and the chance of that becoming the next LinkedIn is just so slim. That's just, it is what it is. Um, so I'm, you know, now that I don't have the pressure of investors influencing what I do next and how novel and, you know, innovative it's, it needs to be. Um, I can do something that's going to be really great and profitable and sustainable for myself in the same way that starting an eBay store was like, there was a book about doing that. There were other people doing that. That wasn't as hard to do as something like I did at Girl Boss. And now I'm kind of using that model, which so many people have. You have Etsy, you have Shopify, you have Squarespace, you have HoneyBook and digital tools. If you're a service provider, you can get paid through Calendly. This stuff didn't exist. And those tools have enabled a whole generation of entrepreneurs in a way uh, that didn't exist before, um, which I'm happy to be one of those entrepreneurs again, because that's where I started. And it's just a lot easier. It's it's so fun. I'm so thrilled um, to have access to it. I'm definitely going to be getting the login membership for business class. I know our audience is going to be super thrilled. They're so excited for stuff like this. And I'm so honored that you got to spend an hour with us today. This has been so much knowledge. Sophia, any last parting words that you want to share with our incredible entrepreneurs that are listening? Um, I just want to say, you know, you've really kind of gushed over me, but it's awesome to be so aligned on what it is that, you know, people need. And your story is just so incredibly inspiring. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm honored to have played any role in that, but also just hearing you talk, it's like, you know what you're talking about. So, um, that's just an endorsement for anybody who's listening. Like what this woman's saying is, you know, learn from real experience. Um, and so it's awesome to see you sharing that with people and, um, I'm excited to see, to see, I mean, a billion, $5 billion and, payments. I mean, I can't even fathom this. So uh, congratulations on everything. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. That's honestly the sweetest compliment anyone could ever give me. And coming from you, it means so much. I'm so honored that we had an opportunity to do this interview today and truly just learn from all your incredible experiences. We're so thrilled for business class and can't wait to see where it goes. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I'll see all of you guys on next week's episode for CEO School. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review, and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.